I wanted to be a multimillionaire. I want to be the judge of how successful or unsuccessful I'm going to Take be. Take control of your life. I meant the hustle was still in me. Nice to meet you, my brother. Um, Victor Harvey. That's it. Junior, second, third. Senior. Yeah, that's He's the junior. He's a junior. Yeah. Where where this all got started for you, man? Born and raised where? Columbus, Ohio, actually. Well, yeah. I, uh, was college, went to Bowling Green, and I moved to Miami when I was like 23. How was it growing up in Ohio? Cold. But, I remember I'm from Connecticut. You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. But it was cool, man. It was uh, you know, it was um a calmer like type environment, even though, you know, where I grew up was the inner city. Um, but it was, it was cool. I mean, I've, I've been back, it's changed a lot. Um, but I've been in Florida for so long. Like that's really where I'm from. Both parent household or? No. So my mother passed away when I was 10. And, uh, so my dad raised us by himself. And, uh, so I know what that's like. Um, but you know, you overcome it and, uh, it was just the best life that we could have. I mean, we didn't have much, but you know. How many brothers and sisters? I have, uh, Three brothers and one sister. And I had a sister that passed away also, but um, it was cool, man. How was it like growing up with a single father? You don't hear that often. I mean, it, it was it was tough because, uh, you know, he went to work every day. I'll say that. Um, you know, I commend him for, you know, a lot of people would have walked out, you know, with, with having kids. The easy thing to do. And uh, But it really taught me, um, you know, the value of, of work. You know, I seen my dad go to work every day and, uh, you know, it, it, it really made me, you know, strive to be somebody, you know, to get out of that environment because, you know, nobody in my neighborhood went to college. Nobody in my family went to college. So I was like, this is something I'm going to do. And I was fortunate enough to be able to go on a, on a scholarship, you know, to play sports. And uh, that's what got me out of there. So and it changed my whole life. Um, the ages, are you the middle, youngest, old? Like- I'm, I'm the middle, actually. Yes. You're a middle child, so you saw some people that did mistakes before you. Mostly mostly from the neighborhood. You know, I always hung out with the older guys in the neighborhood, and I saw, you know, a lot of the things that they were doing, and I did not want to do that. You know, it's like they they were stuck there, like, their whole life. And um, I just knew that there had to be more, and uh, so that's what I always pushed for. What's some of the things the neighborhood taught you, neighborhood you grew up in? You know, you, you learn, you know, you learn the value of hustling. Let me just say that. Mm-hmm. You know, um, when you have to have some money, not for material things, but just pure survival, you know, to eat, to be able to, uh, you know, get clothes and, and some of those things. And I saw, you know, that. But it also taught me, you know, toughness. You know, you had, you know, you get picked on, you get in fights, you have nobody to back you up. So, excuse me, um, you learn that part. And then, but the most important thing I think that it taught me is the the resilience to get out of there, you know, that, you know, there, again, I keep saying it, like there had to be more. So I was, you know, I was an avid reader, even as a young kid. And uh, so I just knew that there was a bigger world out there and I wanted to see where it was at and I wanted to get, I wanted to get there. How did you get connected to reading? Who was the influence on that? It was me, you know, to be honest, it was, it was, you know, outside of running around the neighborhood playing football and basketball and, and whatever else we were doing, 
it was uh it was an escape for me to uh you know sit there and and again it was like being in wonderland you know so i would just find books to read and uh you know i said you know this is something that uh is going to get me it's going to help me get out of here i educated myself a lot you know outside of just school you know i knew there had to be more than 2 plus 2 equals 4 you know what i'm saying so right, it was right, like right. it was like again it was just more of of a uh, a dream is pretty much what it was. So grow, growing up with a, a single father, talk to me about some of the pros before we go into the cons. You know, the pros, I mean, I I can tell you more of me being a single father, mm, you know, okay. more so than uh, what, what the pros were. I didn't, outside of, you know, not, again, not abandoning us, keeping a roof over our head. That was, I guess that's a pro keeping food on the table, clothes on our back. Um, but that was about it, boss. You know what I mean? Yeah. It was like, it was it was tough. Uh, what about the nurturing? Because I know that's a different, from, you know, growing up with a father and a stepmother. I think when I look at my, my life now, like, man, you know, my, my stepmother was good to me, but I don't think, like, you know, my biological mother would be, you know, that nurturing. Right. Did you get a lot of that? or was Not it, at all. Let's get it, it was, done. It was a complete opposite, you know, um, and, you know, a lot of times when, you know, a, a parent or a, a husband or you know, I don't really know about, you know, a wife, but, you know, they go through this period of uh, experiencing like maybe loneliness or something like that. So they're seeking someone to replace um, that person that might have passed away. And, and when they think they found that, that becomes their focal point. And you forget that you got some little ones out there that 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 need you. And to me, just being there physically and providing, you know, a house and, a, and some clothes and stuff like that, you know, is that's not to me, that's not it. That's not the most important thing. You know, it's, it's teaching, you know, a boy how to be a man. And I didn't get that. I taught myself how to be a man, you know, and I raised my kids differently. Um, so that's the tougher part of it. But, and I hate to say it, but that's facts. That's real. And and growing up in Ohio and playing sports, what sports did you play? I played basketball and football. Okay. You know, so I got very lucky, you know. And, uh, you know, one of my professors told me, he said, you know, going to the pros is, is tough, you know. And most guys, no matter how long you play, um, it's, it's not going to last. So you got to get your education. And I took that very serious. And, you know, so when I graduated – you know, I, I had one job in my whole life and I got, I worked at a gas station, right? And they fired me for no reason. And so I had a, a, a human resources professor. And when I told him about it and why it happened, he said, oh no, we're not taking that. And so he guided me through, you know, how to, uh, how to file a, uh, like a, a lawsuit, a discrimination lawsuit, <laughs> okay. right? I'm like freaking 19 years old or something, right? I don't even know, maybe 20, I don't even know. So we did it and won, right? And so they, you know, they offered me my job back, which I didn't take. They offered me all my back pay, which I did take. They offered me a small settlement, which I did take, which I thought was all the money in the world. It was 3,000 bucks. Oh, you were rich. And, uh, and uh, but I told myself at that point, I would never work for anybody ever a day in my life. And I never have. So that's, you know, that was another lesson learned. So going for sport, you say you got you you received scholarships. Yeah. 
So what was the scholarship for, and then where did you go? So I went to Bowling Green State University. So I had, I had a scholarship to play basketball, and uh, I went there, and then my last year I played football. So uh, Where's Bowling Green? It's, it's in Ohio. Okay, okay, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it was cool, man. It was the best best experience. So you transitioned life. sports. For, like, was What was your favorite sports, first of all, the basketball or the football? And then why did you transition at the end of the year, the last senior year? Um, you know, mostly because uh, – the basketball coach that recruited me wasn't the one that I finished up with. Um, and so, you know, and, and especially at the college level, you know, the ones that recruit you, you know, you're a priority, obviously, or they wouldn't have recruited you. But then when the next coach comes in, you may not be that priority. You know, they got their own guys and they got to try and show that, you know, they brought those guys in for a reason, even if they're not better than you. And uh, so I just decided, you know, with the advice of a friend of mine to make the, make the transfer. And that's what I did. So go on. I'm, I'm, I'm trying to visualize, you know, you're in school and growing up in Ohio with a parent. How, did the void of not having a mother affected you a lot, you think, earlier on? Or did um, you know or did you didn't know? Or I didn't really think that much about it. You know, I thought more about, you know, how to how to get to the next step. Obviously, you, you know, you had friends that had, you know, two parent households and, um, and they, you know, some of them kind of take you in a little bit. It doesn't fill the void, but uh, it, it does give you some sense of understanding of what that's like. Um, but it's more being focused on, like I said, it's getting out of there and, and trying to find a better life. But I taught myself a lot, man. And, I, and I'm, you know, I'm not ashamed to say that. So, so you were, was it an escape thing or just running away from the things that you saw or you, the reading that you were doing made you feel like there was more in other markets? It's, it, that was it. It's like when you read about, you know, opportunities and you read about, you know, success, you know, not just in sports, but in business. And I always knew I wanted to be a businessman. I always knew that. And um, you read about it, but then you, you, when you don't see it firsthand because that's not in your neighborhood, um, you don't really see black people owning anything. They they taught, you know, especially back then, to go to work. That's what you do. You get a job, you stay there for 30 or 40 years, and you retire. Well, that wasn't me. And um, so I just, again, I just knew. And at the time, my sister, my older sister, encouraged me to uh, move to L.A. So I ended up moving to L.A. before I moved to Miami. And Why she encouraged that, though? Because I wanted to be a rap star. And she said, that ain't ever going to happen in Columbus, Ohio. Right. So I moved to L.A. My sister was married to a movie star, um, Michael Winslow, the guy in Police Academy, makes all the noises and stuff. Okay, That's okay. my brother-in-law. Wow. So I uh, moved to L.A. And at the time, uh, Michael was uh, obviously doing several movies, but he had one coming up in Miami. And so my sister was my quote-unquote manager as well as his, right? And so part of the deal she said, you got to give my brother a song on the soundtrack. And so they, you know, they asked me, if, you know, do you have a demo, which was the key thing back then, right? So I had a little three-song demo. I played it. You know, they're acting like they, I knew it sucked, right? But I just, you know, you that, was the, that was the best I had, right? And uh, so they said, okay, we'll do it. But we're going to assign him to our sister company, which is, it was a record company in Miami. And so uh, we all moved to Miami. And wow. right during, right before Hurricane Andrew. When you say you all moved, what are you talking me, about? Me, my sister, and my brother-in-law moved to Miami. Wow. And uh, so Michael's working on this movie, and they took my three songs and threw it in the trash and said, we're going to put you in the studio with one of our producers. 
And uh, so I did that, and I recorded my first single, which was called Can't Stop It, and uh, it did reasonably well. You know, just in Miami, it was pretty much playing. It was on the radio. It was, you know, it's back when the box video thing was around. So we shot a video, and, and it was kind of cool. Um, and then my sister passed away. And once that happened, it was like, okay. So I went into this little funk again. I'm like, okay, my mom's gone. Now my older sister's gone. And I'm like, you know, what's going on, right? And uh, so I had to pull it, you know, had to get it all together. I went broke, actually. And, uh, you know, at the Hurricane Andrew thing, my best friend from college actually moved to Miami. He was in the construction business. So he said, hey, come stay with me. You know, so I went and stayed with him for a while. And uh, I said, man, I got to do something. Nobody would hire me because remember I told you I never had a job. Right, right, right. So I had no experience and nobody would hire me. So I said, you know what? I'm going to start a sports agency. And he Where said. Where did that come from, though? Again, it's just that that will and that drive of, of you know, I don't know if it's just the entrepreneurial spirit, but it's it's a vision. It's, it's a belief that I had in myself. And I picked up the yellow pages and I looked for sports entertainment lawyers, right? Found one that was, I don't know, call it 10 miles from me. I took my last couple bucks, caught the bus down there, sat with Richard and said, this is what I want to do. This is who I am. And we talked for about three, four hours. And he says, all right, I'm in. And I was like, okay. I said, I'll take 60%. You take 40. He said, oh, no, no, no. He said, I'll take 60. You take 40 if I'm putting up the money. And he wait, said, wait, wait. I want to catch something. So you had an idea. I'm going into the sports business, Correct. management business. You, why did you call the attorney because you knew of him? No, nope. you didn't even know. I picked up the yellow pages. He was the first one I saw. And I caught the bus to his office. Never met him a day in my life. And you telling him what? I'm telling him my my vision of starting a sports agency to take basketball players overseas. Because at that time, uh, if you didn't make it in the NBA, obviously there wasn't all these D leagues and G leagues and all that other stuff. So the next route was to go overseas. And you could make a decent living over there. And each team was allowed to have two Americans. And I knew a lot of guys that didn't make it to the NBA. And I started with some I knew in Ohio. And I told him my, my, what I wanted to do. He says, okay, what do you need? I said, I need uh, a fax machine. I need $1,200 to get an apartment. I need a car. And I need $500 for my pocket. I said, you do that, I guarantee you will be successful. We go buy the fax machine. He says, get the top of the line fax machine. Got it. We go to the car dealership. I'm, you know, I'm used to having nice cars, right? And I was like, okay. You know, he's talking to the manager, general manager. I'm like, this is what I'm talking about. Then we get on the elevator. We go up to the fifth floor. And I said, what is this? And he had a, I had a sales guy with me. He said, oh, this is all the junk that's going to the auction tomorrow. I was like, you got to be kidding me. And I said, what's the most expensive car up here? He was like, well, we got a Thunderbird or something for five grand. I'm like, I'll take it, right? I did that. Long story short, it went from that day to us becoming number one in the world. We had all-star sports agents. We had more players placed overseas than any other agency in the world. And I was one of the first to take women overseas. This is before the WNBA and everything. Long story short, we grew that business to be very successful. I said, buy me out. He was like, what? I said, buy me out. He said, for what? I said, I'm starting my own record company. He was like, what? And I said, yeah, I'm starting my own record company. Because I told you I only had that one song with the record company I was with, but I was under contract for two more years. But I had no money. 
So when I went back to them to get another advance, they said no. So I had to sit for like two years. That's why I started a sports agency. Well, once I saw, I took that time, I, was, I told you I was always a reader. I read every book I could on how to have your own record company, right? I've read it about distribution and marketing and promotions and how to get on the radio and all this other stuff. So Richard bought me out and a guy that I had become very close with said, you need to move back to Ohio. You need to, to make amends with your father. And he was like, he, this gentleman told me, he said, you're like a son to me. He's like, you're more like a son than my own son. And he was like, and that's where all your connections are is in Ohio. He said, you need to move back there and started there. So I went back. I took the money that I had. I moved back. I got my team back together. The same ones that we did that sorry demo yeah, tape three, with. Them three right? songs. <laughs> but this time everybody's a lot better. And I said, look, guys, I can't really pay you. I said, I'm going to put everything into starting our own record company. I said, again, you trust me, we're going to be successful. So I, I, we did an album with the first record called The Rise, The Fall, The Rise. And it went crazy. I made millions. And I was 26. So before we go in there, I want to touch on something. I want to speak on something. And I want, as a question for you, why do you believe he was so locked in and believed in you? Uh, you're speaking about Richard, the attorney? Richard, the attorney. I think that... He trusted me. Um, I think that when people meet or, you know, speak, they can, you know, they can see if somebody's sincere, if they have a real passion for it. Um, I think a big part of being successful is your passion, um, your resilience, um, and your ability to overcome obstacles. And so here you have a guy, me, speaking of, that, you know, had some moderate success uh, before I even met him, you know, with the first record and some other things. And and um, and then, uh, so if you can do it once, you, you could probably do it again if you have the right resources and the right people around you. What do you think <clears throat> carried you on? Was it the belief system? Was it the information that you studied that got you to the next chapter even after that whole thing? It's just that, that re, re, resilience, that refusal to give up you know, to be successful. You know, I've, I've always believed that, you know, success is when opportunity meets preparation. And, you know, you're go everybody's going to get a turn. You know, you got to, but you got to be ready. And so I've prided myself on trying to be ready if I had that opportunity. And and then what gave you the discernment, the, the knowledge? Like when the guy gave, told you, hey, you need to go back to Ohio, go back and work it out with your father, go back home and go, you know, put in the work there. Like what made you even believe that? I trusted him, um, and I knew that he really, really cared about me as like a son. Right. And um, and I saw, you know, how his relationships in Miami, you know, were benefiting him, you know. And so if he believed that mine would be stronger, you know, going back, and I had nothing here. I had nobody, you know, and I had nobody. You know, my only family I had was gone. And so, you know, I said, you know what, I'm going to go back. And that's what I did. And the moment you touched down in Ohio, what was that experience like? I hit you? the ground running. I, I so what's some of the things you did when you got there? I got there. I called my, my uh, guy that was helping me produce the records. I called my background singer. And I called uh, one of my boys that, you know, would, you know, say some lyrics here and there. It was just the four of us. We cut that record in my boy's apartment. And then we took it to the studio and finished it. I mean, so, so were you the artist or you got other I artists? I was the artist. So you did it. You, yeah. Taipan. 
Yeah. You, you, you went to the mud for real. You, yeah. You, so how, but even, even you as, so you were the investor, the artist, all in one. Was it an independent label or did you have? It was my own label. We did our own distribution. We did everything. And so what I would do, some of the, the things I would do is we would call record stores all over the country and, you know, ask them, have you heard of, do you guys carry Taipan? You know, the rise to fall, the rise. He's the hottest artist in the Midwest. And of course they would say, no, they never heard of it. Right. And, oh, you need to get it because he's coming there to do a show. And we'd look up what clubs were hot, you know, and we say he's going to, you know, call it club ABC, whatever it is. They're like, really? Okay. We'll take uh we'll take five CDs or 10 CDs, whatever. Bam. We know we were getting eight to $10 a pop. So we're on the phones calling, like all over. Doing Sales are ready from the beginning. And then we would call the clubs and say, the same club I mentioned, and say, hey, you know, ABC Record Store just picked up this record. This guy's hot, you know, whatever, whatever. He's going to be coming through, you know, Detroit. You know, he just, he's finished up a show in Lansing, which is two, two hours away. You need to book him now. And they said, oh, what's he going for? You know, I throw the number out and, well, we, we'll pay this. I said, let me talk to him. I'll call you back. I sit there about 10 minutes. I'll it call was you, you back. the whole time. And it was me the whole time. And I'll call him back and say, okay, he'll do it for this. Boom, you book that show. Then you call Lansing where you said you already had a show and tell him you're booked in Detroit. And that's how we did it. So you did a whole tour off of you. Yeah. So, off of that. But, and did you learn all that from reading or just was the hustle again? It's the hustle, man. That's the hustle. You know, it's like understanding like, yo, we got to get out there, man. You know, it's, it's uh, you can't just sit there. It ain't going to come to you. You got to go get it. You know, but then, like I said, but you're just clearly you just activated. You just grinding. You just hustling. You weren't worrying about if you were doing it right or wrong. I didn't know right or wrong. It's my first time doing it. You know what I'm saying? So you had nothing to lose. Nothing to lose. You know, it was just let's go out there and get it. You know, and and try to. You know, I learned some of the stuff for, from being signed to a label, and I learned some of the things that they were doing, and I did take some of those methods and some of those things and apply it. You know, when I had my own thing. Um, so it wasn't like I totally just made up everything, but, uh, what's some of the losses that you took in that whole process? Um, I, to be honest, I didn't really lose man with, with that whole record thing. You know, it was, uh, it was, it was a good run, you know? Um, and it just, you know, the, the times changed though, you know, like CDs went away and it was just, you know, all these other things and, you know. But that was it, man. It was a good, it was a great run. What's the next venture after that, after the record label? So, you know, a lot of people back then, a lot of artists and things were, um, you know, not investing, but they were buying, all, you know, all the jewelry and the cars and all that other stuff. I wasn't into none of that. You know, I started investing in real estate. And so. Uh, Where'd you, where does that come from? Though? It was just, again, it was just another thing of, of you know, hey, this is, Something I want to do, you know, it's a long-term investment, you know, understanding it. And, you know, I read about it and I started, you know, buying houses. And then I bought my first hotel in 2003 or something. Hold on, brother. Hold on, brother. Like you, just, you just threw that in there like it was a regular day. <laughs> We're not going to do that right now. Hold on. You got to slow down a little bit. So you, you were in the entertainment business. You stack you, but one thing I learned, I'm learning about you is that reading has carried you a long way. Yeah. Every time you want to learn something or you want to do something, you read on it. So you're in the entertainment industry. You shift over. You got money in your pocket now. You say I want to make long term investment, or I just want to invest in something. I want to. I want to invest. So I bought my first house at 
20, 23 years old or something like that. And I sold it at 24 just because I had a little bit more money. So I bought the first house for like 65, call it, and I sold it for like 90 in like a year. So I was like, oh, man, this real estate this stuff, this is where it's at. And uh, that's when I started doing investing in real estate. So was it more how, you know, single family, multiple family? It was single family mostly until I bought that hotel. And how did that happen? I wanted a hotel. And it, I think part of, you know, now that I think back, a lot of what I did was I saw nobody else that looked like me doing it. And I said, you know what? Not because I wanted to be the first, but I just wanted to do something different. Because, again, the people that I saw doing things, I didn't want to do that. You know, so I said, I'm going to do something different. And so when I had, I had the opportunity, I said, you know what? Nobody, I don't know anybody buying hotels. And so, excuse me, I ended up uh, making a deal with a guy and he told me what he wanted. And, you know, I didn't have that much money and didn't think I could get financed. And so he says to me, after talking to him, meeting with him several times, he says, you know what? You remind me of me. And I said, how's that? And he was like, when I came to this country, he said, I didn't have anything. And, you know, he told me, you know, how he put it together. He said, here's what I'm going to do. You come up with X amount of dollars and I'll be the bank and I'll carry the note. Right. And that's what happened. And so we started remodeling the hotel and things like that. And I was going to conferences and uh, meeting people and things like that. And then I got. uh, How many doors in the hotel? So that one was a 250 room because it was a former Marriott. It goes again, my brother. You, You real good at this, man. (laughs) <laughs> we got you. There's a couple of steps I want to catch up on. So you got the guts. You just believe you can do anything you want. I try. Clearly, you went from you went from single family homes to say I'm gonna buy a 250 door hotel. Correct with a restaurant. Because it's Tuesday, I'm gonna just do it today. <laughs> <laughs> like like it gotta be something else. It gotta be something else that you you didn't even have the money. Nope. But you went back in there and spoke to that man, and then he trusted you again. Yep. And so what I did was I went and got Clarion Hotels, which is a big chain, it's a, it's a flag to say, hotel. yeah, and to say, all right, we agree to flag it. And at the time, you know, pretty much. How old are you at that time? Uh, I'm like 30 at that time, and uh, I think something like that. And um, so at the time, pretty much all of the big hotel companies were uh, having initiatives to get more black people into the, into the hotel industry. And uh, so, and Clarion was one of them. And so they give you like discounted management, you know, fees and reservation fees and stuff like that. So I, I was able to get Clarion to come on board. Um, I was able to get, you know, a, a, a large restaurant chain to agree to lease the restaurant. I got, I said, I'm going to put a spa in there. Right. How my brother, how, like, how I you- just, so I had this vision of what I wanted with this hotel. Right. And so I said, let me go get a big name uh, spa, people to agree. So I put it all together. So it was like, okay, this is going to be occupied. Started the renovations. Before I even finished, I sold the whole thing for a lot of money. Before I even finished the hotel, I sold the vision of what I was going to do. That's what happened. So you're out. I don't even know how to explain I'm stuck right now. That's crazy. You believed you could do it. You read on it. You put in the work. You weren't even finished with the project. And you sold it. Nope. At what point do you like? Do you not believe this is real? 
I knew it was real. You know, I knew it was just a stepping stone to doing what I was going to do. So what I ended up doing is I ended up getting two in Miami after that. And I moved back to Miami. So the one in Ohio, now you have the capital. Your next transition is going back to Miami to buy two of them. Yep. Well, I didn't buy two at the same time. But you already but, had the vision. Yeah. And this was like in the mid, you know, the mid nineties when, you know, the real estate market's going crazy. And, uh, you know, we were doing condo conversions and, you know, just a lot of different things and, you know, doing extremely well. And, uh, at 30 years old, yeah. children already at that point. Uh, no, I had my, no, I had my first, my daughter when I was 32, I think. Yeah. Let me see. She's 20. Yeah. 32. And then my son a year and a half after that. So all this is happening in Miami. I, I could only like, how was that experience just from being in that capacity in Miami moving like this? How was that? It was, it was cool, man. Um, you know, when I had the kids, I, I so I, when I had the kids, I had moved back to Ohio, right? And they were there until like, they were like five or six, and then we moved back to Florida. Um, we've been here ever since. Um, and they're 25 and 24 now. So um, we came back, and, you know, I was still doing the real estate stuff and some other stuff, and um, that's when I got into the liquor business. So before I, I want to touch real estate real quick. Some, you, you've done some unbelievable thing on that. And the reason I'm saying believe it because I don't I've never spoke to another brother that was 29, 30 doing this, developing that many doors and then going down to Miami. I mean, I've met you know, 40, 50, 60 year old brothers that have done it. Um, that's in the, in the um, Marriott business also. So your first hotel in Miami, was it was it hotel or was it conversion of condos? No, and- it was a hotel. It was independent. We didn't have a flag on it. Um, Why did you go from not from a flagship hotel to a. Well, it wasn't flagged when we got it, um, and so we just kept it where it was at for for the time being. Occupancy rate was good. You didn't really need one. Um, but you're in Miami, right? Also. You know, which is a whole different market. You know, it's it's the home of boutique hotels. Mm-hmm. You know, um, and then you know, we didn't need a management company. We didn't need a reservation system, like I said, because the occupancy was already there. Um, so that's what we did, and then we leveraged that one to get another one. Did you sell them or you? you no, we ended up selling them. You ended up selling yeah. them? What was next for you after that? After you sold them? Um, what I do after that? After that, I just kind of chilled for a minute. But, but uh, yeah, yeah. But uh, Raised children. We, we, had bought, uh, we had bought an apartment building. Um, I think it had, we had about 120 units. We converted them all to condos. Um, and so we were starting to sell those. And then that's when the whole market collapsed. When you say we, or is it you I, with a partner? So I a, or? Yeah, I had a partner. Yeah. You had a partner in there? Yeah. How even that partnership happened? Was it someone that you knew? or was Somebody someone? I just met, you know, in Miami, and we were talking, and he was doing the same things I was doing, and we formed a, uh, you know, a nice friendship and decided to move forward, and uh, that's how I went. So after, so you're in, you're you're still in real estate. I am. You're yeah. still, are you as a an aggressive investor? Or you're No, you know, so you're, now I only do my own stuff, like, um, I buy mostly all commercial and, uh, and then we develop it. So our first project as you probably already know is the one we're doing on Sistrunk in Fort Lauderdale. Okay. So, uh, you know, I'm working with the CRA on that project and, uh, Speak a little bit about that project, what that project entail. So I've been buying property over there for, you know, 10 years and, uh, just knowing that, you know, eventually that was going to be the area to, to, to go to. And, uh, you know, being in the spirits business, I was looking for, 
you know, somewhere to build my distillery. And I was looking at a different area and uh, the gentleman who runs the CRA who said, why don't you put it on Cistro? And I was like, well, there's gotta be some kind of incentive to come over here because it ain't ready yet, right? right. And uh, so I went, you know, applied and did my thing and they awarded me two and a half million dollars to, to build over there. And I said, okay, I'll do it. And uh, so that's where we're at. And uh, then I just started acquiring even more property over there. And uh, so we're hoping that we're going to break ground next month. Um, you know, we got set back a little bit with COVID and then some other things, but um, we should break ground next week. So next month? I mean, or? next month. I'm sorry. February. So next month. So <laughs> what So what does that business entail, the, the distillery? Could you give a little bit more information on that? So, you know, with the distillery, obviously, that's where we'll, you know, make our spirits at. Um, we'll create new spirits. Um you know, different different lines and things like that. But also in the building itself is a restaurant, um, which will be my son's first restaurant. He's a chef. Um, we're putting a cigar lounge. Mm. And actually the gentleman's cigar lounge I saw you at, mm -hmm. he's putting it in my building. So that'll be his fifth wow. or sixth location. And uh, we got a rooftop terrace patio bar. And then I have another space that I'm not sure what we're going to do with it yet. Probably be a... a Excuse me, a live entertainment lounge, probably. So, why Sistrunk and why um, Spirits? So, Sistrunk, you know, reminds me of where I grew up. And so, I wanted to, you know, invest in my own neighborhood and, you know, and support, you know, our people and, and employ our people. And so, that for me, that was an obvious choice if it made financial sense. And so, partnering up with the CRA made it make financial sense. And so then I was committed to that ever since then. Um, the spirits business was just something that, <laughs> you know, one day I woke up and I said, you know what? I want my own vodka company. And it was like, everybody thought I was crazy. But what, I, what it was, is I saw how much money people were spending on alcohol. And at that time, nobody had their own, right? And so I said, you know what? This is what I'm going to do. I started researching it, how to do it, Your norm. reading about it. And I, so I found a, uh, a distiller out of South Carolina. So flew over there, met him, talked to him, said, okay, let's do it. I'm going to have you make my vodka. Well, when they first started it, I said, this is horrible. Like, I can't do this. So they said, well, come back. So I went back, spent some time with them. And I think after about 132 tries, we found the formula. And that was my first vodka company. And that, that was in 2007. And it became the fastest growing vodka ever in the state of Florida. Wow. But, and, and even in that process of the distillery, did, um, did you see somebody else doing it or you just saw people making it? Nobody money? was doing it. Nobody. You know, at that time, it, you know, you had the bigger brands that were already out there, but it was not identifiable by a person. You know, now you have hundreds of them, right? But at that time, nobody was doing it, you know, especially black, you know, but black or white. I didn't know one person. I never even heard of one person that had their own spirits brand. And so I was one of the first to do it. So what's the process? If somebody had an idea, I want to become, I want to go into the spirit business. What's the starting point? Like, what is it that? Well, now that I've been in it for a long time, have some money, right? Number one, because it's tougher than what people think. You know, number two. What are the tough things about it? Well, the toughest thing, you, you got to understand that you're going to need distribution, 
right? So you gotta you gotta be able to get a distributor that believes that if they bring your brand in, that it's gonna move. You gotta understand marketing. Um, you gotta understand, you know, trends like consumer trends and things like that. So I tell people, you know, have a plan. It's not the most difficult thing in the world to start your own spirit and bottle it. It's what you're going to do with it once it's bottled. That's the tougher part. Um, so, you know, I, I, I advise people and, you know, kind of mentor them sometimes about how to, how to get into it. But the number one thing, you know, is understanding capitalization. That's the toughest part of it all. So this sounds like a super it's similar to what your norm is. Have an idea. I mean, and this also reminds me of the record label. Right. It's very similar. And could you give me some similar points? Well, for me, the similar points are the marketing, the invest, you know, the distribution. Do you treat it the same way? I, I treat it exactly the same way. Um, you know, I could, you know, I could sit in the office and do all, when I need to do office work. Or like yesterday, I'm out visiting stores from the hood to the to the chain stores and you know, meeting the right people. Business to me is about relationships. People do business with people they like. And, you know, if you can build those kind of relationships where they believe in you, they believe in your product, um, you, you should do well. What's some of your goals for the for the for um, your vodka and other spirits that you're looking to launch? So right now we have the vodka. We have a caramel vodka. We have a bourbon. We have a rye whiskey. And we're going to launch a tequila this summer. And, you know, once I get those five done, we're just going to continue to grow. You know, we're distributing in all 50 states. So we're just going to continue to just grow the brand. My daughter works with me. And uh, so at some point, you know, I'll, I'll probably turn it over to her. Um, like I said, my son's going to have his first restaurant um, in, you know, inside of our building. And uh, it's just really at that point, it's just helping them, you know, as they get older and, you know, they start doing it. How does that feel, man? How does it feel to be able to create um a space, a platform that your children is able to grow from. So if I'm not sure if I mentioned it, but when I think about, you know, when I, my whole life, when I thought about like raising my kids, I promised them one thing before they could even understand what words even meant. You never grow up like me. You know, you're my first priority. And I've lived my whole life like that. You know, even though, you know, they're grown and they do their own thing and you know, that you don't always agree with what they do. Um, but you're there for them, you know, and they know they can count on you. And, but the more important thing is to lead them, you know, and try to lead them the best way that you can. And that, and that's what I do. And that's my commitment. And so, you know, when, when, when you're done, like I, I do these talks, right. And, you know, around the country and things like that. And one of the things that I say is that most people will live their whole life and never be remembered other than their immediate family or their closest friends. They'll never, ever be remembered because they haven't done anything to help somebody else. And if you're able to help somebody else, not just financially, but, you know, being a friend or going to visit them when they're sick or whatever the case may be, they will tell your story in perpetuity and it will last forever. And that's how I live my life. Why? Because I want to be remembered. You giving your children the opportunity to build from where you to build from a platform that you have. Was that purposeful when you were designing or when you were moving to Sistrunk and designing this space? Do you have all that in mind? Absolutely, 100%. So our phase two of that building, so the, Vic, the building is called the Victory Building, uh, which is named after the old Victory Theater that was on Sistrunk, which at the time, before segregation, that was the only entertainment space 
that was they had in Broward County, pretty much. And so I didn't want to name the building after me. It's pretty close, Victor. Well, I mean, that you just, know, this is a little, it just happened that way. crazy, but. But so what I am doing is phase two, which is going to be across the street, will be the first Victor George Hotel. So I'm going to build another hotel. And that's probably what I'm going to do when I retire from the spirits business is focus on that. What's the experience going to be like in a Victor Hotel? It's going to be nice. It's going to be boutique. It's going to be, you know, we got the restaurant across the street. It's needed in the area. And uh, that'll be the first of many. Like, we're looking in, you know, some other cities and, and things like that. But that's that's what I really want to do. And if you think about this, the correlation of everything I've mentioned that I've done pretty much my whole life, it's all entertainment. From sports Excellent. to music to spirits to hotels. It's all entertainment. I mean, so basically, you, you're building what you lived. Correct. And your children are basically falling in right in line with the whole thing. They're living their own dream. My daughter, she's a business lady. You know, that's what she wants to do. And she went to school for real estate development. So she kind of mimics me. And she, you know, follows my platform. And she's super smart, probably smarter than me. And uh, that's what she she wants to do. That's her own dream, not mine. That's her dream. My son uh, want, wanted to be a chef. And he went to culinary school, and he's doing his thing. And so he's got his own catering business, and he's doing very, very, very well. And so what do most chefs want at some point? They want their own restaurant. So powerful thing that my father's able to – he did the work. Don't get it twisted. But to be able to give your children that platform, what does that mean to you? To be able to do it, uh, I know that it's a blessing, um, but it's also – Again, that resilience to be able to put yourself in a position to do that. And uh, and that's what I'm doing. So um, that's 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 my dream is to see them succeed in what they want to do, not what I want them to do, what they mm -hmm. want to do. What, what That's powerful. What are three tools that you believe that you utilize every day or in your business that you think that is a must for someone that's looking to do the things that you're doing? Well, number one probably is you got to have your accounting in place. So, you know, I was reading you guys stuff. So like QuickBooks, we do use QuickBooks, right? Um, you got to have that in place, right? So you got to be able to track, you know, your your money. You got to be able to, you know, understand your cash flow and your profit and losses and, you know, all these different things. So I would say that's probably the, the most significant part of it. I would say that secondly, uh, would probably be in our, our, uh, you know, our packaging. We design all of our own packaging. We do all of our, you know, social media in-house, um, our digital marketing, our social media, we do it all in-house. Um, so we, we you know, we use those different tools to be able to, uh, you know, navigate in those spaces. And, uh, but, and then thirdly, books. That's, that's definitely, there's no question you know. about that. That, that, that's the information, you know, it's the roadmap, you know, that's what we do. And what, what would you define success is to you? What is success to you? Well, I mentioned it earlier. Success is, is when opportunity means preparation. To me, that's success. That's where you're going to find it at. Success is not identified by how much money you got or, you know, anything like that. It's putting in the work. You put in the work, right, and you're ready. When the opportunity comes, you can't help but be successful. Do you believe there's balance in um, 
personal business and overall business, do you do you, do you think is is capable to achieve those things? I, it is. I put my personal life over my business life, you know, because you know you got to stay healthy. Um, you have to enjoy it. You know, the one thing I'm not going to do is I don't chase money, right? I make money, and because of the work that we put in, but I put my personal life first so that I can have that that peace of mind moving forward. Building a successful business was never a question. You know, it's like it's like playing football or basketball. It's like if you put the work in and you're good, you know you're going to get drafted, right? It is what it is. So do you treat business like sports? I or? do, 100%. So that's why the preparation, everything that's you're talking it. about is, right. is, uh, is basically makes all the sense in the world, my brother. Question for you. What's the most critical part of your routine? Proper rest. <laughs> you know, I get up early every morning. Um, but, you know, staying healthy is is probably the number one thing. But what I do is, if you think about this, it doesn't cost you any more to get to work an hour earlier. So think about that. If you, get, if you go to work an hour earlier every day, right, just call it five days a week, you, at the end of the month, you put in 20 extra hours. And it costs you nothing. So that, that's probably what I do. I get all my emails out the way. I do my reading, you know, my praying. I do all that in the morning, right? Get all of that out the way, and then I'm ready to go. So, and that's super powerful, too. Um, how did you start doing that? Like, that routine, that reading and praying, all those things. Like, how did, when did that start happening? I mean, I was always an early riser. You know, we start, you know, practice and training and, you know, weightlifting at 6 a.m., you know what I mean? So, so sports actually. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I apply a lot of those principles. Um, Still to your everyday yeah. life. And then, but a, a, a big part of my day, or probably a, a better to say a, my week is giving back. You know, whether it's volunteering, whether it's mentoring someone, um, doing things like this, which I'm thankful for. Uh, that That's a big part of who I am. And why? Why, I, why is that? I just told you that. Most people will never be remembered because they never did anything to help anybody else. So the more value you give. Right. And it doesn't cost you anything. I mean, even if it's a donation, it costs you nothing. You're doing it from the goodness of your heart, and, and you have the ability to do it. So whether it's, it's buying kids bicycles for Christmas, I don't look for anything. You know, we did a, a, a program um, for a couple of years called Santa's Helper where we worked with two foster homes, and we asked the kids to write essays, one-page essays, about what they want to be when they grow up. And uh, working in working with them, we selected 12 kids each year. We partnered up with Target, and we donated $250 to each kid to go Christmas shopping. And we, what we did is we partnered them up with a mentor of what they wanted to be. So if you want to be a rapper, a rapper. You want to be a football player, I get you an NFL guy. You want to be a teacher, teacher, barber, barber, whatever it was. They volunteered their time to come out, and they were the ones that took the kids into the store to go shopping. And I never, ever, ever took it to the press. I never did anything because it wasn't about me. It was about those kids. And why I chose foster kids is because even though I wasn't in a foster home, I felt like I grew up by myself and just me and my brothers and sisters. And so I kind of related to that. And uh, it was it's surreal when you see the, those how those kids are. That's powerful. Yeah. You ever... Um... I wonder if you if you were able to go back some of the kids that you helped. You ever connect with any of them or you know, I didn't. Um I think a lot of that is is because of um 
Oh, the, the yeah, uh, you know, the, the privacy rules and, and things like that. Um, but uh, no, I, I didn't. Sadly, so, no, that's that's not a that's part of the game. Um, what what? Let me make sure I ask this question correctly. What's a lesson that took you the longest to learn? <laughs> Protect your credit. Because, <laughs> you know, okay. a lot of, you know, kids aren't taught financial literacy, right? You know, I remember being in school and, you know, you get these these mailers, you know, and, you know, in the student union, they're signing you up for credit cards and, you know, Radio Shack and, you know, Discover Card and all this stuff, right? And uh, you don't understand. Nobody taught you that that little piece of plastic that you're able to buy stuff with, mm-hmm. you got to pay it back. And so you graduate, you know, <laughs> and you're ready to go into the real world. You want to go try to buy a car or whatever it is. Like, you got bad credit. Credit, what is that? Well, you know. And nobody told me about that part. Yeah, and your total debt is 700 bucks. You know, <laughs> if, if you would have known, you would have paid it back. Nobody taught you. You know, so... I would say that was the toughest lesson that I had to learn. Just the whole financial the literacy piece? The whole financial piece? literacy piece. You know, how do you write a check? I never knew how to write a check. Right. You know, how to save. You know, how to even get a bank account. You know, mm. it's like. But how did you do it? So you just did it. Yeah, I mean, you just had to learn. I mean, I learned the hard way. You know, I think, shit, my, 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 NF, my oh. NSF fees probably exceeded my income at some point. You know what I mean? That's real. That's real. That's real. What what influence do you hope to to bring to the world? You know, I, I want people to uh, to understand the importance of uh, you know of of helping each other. You know, um, be be a uh, a door opener. Um, you know, if you're able to, and whatever your chosen profession is, if you're able to, you know, pull somebody else through that door. And help them, you know, help educate them and give them, help them get a seat at the table. Mm-hmm. To me, that's that's really what I want to do. That's powerful, my brother. Uh, quite, last question for you, man. Is there something that I didn't ask you that you would want to give the people that's watching this right now? I, no, I think, like, you really did your homework, you know. <laughs> and you can tell <laughs> you My team doing, did great, but. Yeah, you've been doing it a while. And, um, you know, there's, there's really, you know, it's not that, you know, um. If, if someone was going to ask me a question, it, 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 and I think I've already spoken on it, it's like, what's next? I get all, I get asked that a lot. Like, what's next? And uh, it's just, you know, like I said, just continuing to, to build the business. And my next thing I want to do is, is I want to really get some of these other guys, you know, that want to get into the space, it's particularly black people, get them to get an opportunity um, and get a seat at the table. That's powerful, man. And 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 there's something else I want to my personal kind, my flowers to you, and some of the things I a lot a couple of things I want to talk about. One, I I appreciate brothers like you that believe in their community, that invest back in their community. I definitely commend brothers that take leadership. You know, a lot of brothers don't. I spoke to a couple of other guys about this. Like, you know, when I give them credit for holding their kids down, they're like, that's that's what I'm supposed to do. But there is a level and there's a level of care, the level of, you know, the standard that you're doing for your family. That's legendary, man. And and I definitely want to give you your flowers for doing it the way you're doing it. Not just taking that. care of your children, just putting them in position that they could carry the legacy on, 
you know, for a lifetime. And my question to you is, why was that so important for you? Not just a legacy piece. Was it because of what you went through with your parents or what you didn't have? Or like, why was that? I think that's a big part of it. Um, you know, it's, it's a lot of times people get, get stuck, right? In wherever they are, wherever they grew up, um, how they grew up, because no one taught them any better. No one, you know, took it upon themselves to create opportunities for them, um, to lead them, to lead by example, you know? Um, and so, you know, when I, when I decided to have kids, I knew that it was going to be different for them. Like that, that's not an option. And, you know, they both went to school, you know, they, you know, kids these days, they think it's, you don't even need it. And, you know, right. whether you do or you don't, um, you don't need it to be successful. I said, do it for me. I never asked mm -hmm. you for anything. Just do it for me. You know, and one day you'll understand why. And now they understand why. The purpose of it. They understand that the purpose of it and now how education is useful, but more importantly, they did it for me. And so now, like my daughter, I have a three-year-old grandson, and she's like, I see why. Because you want it better for us. You know, and, and so now yeah, they start super to Super clear see now. Yeah. This is my last question, man, and I and I want you to be able to tell the people that are watching this. Every entrepreneur, leader, people in your and you know that resemble what you're doing have that part where they, everything shifts for them. What was that shifting point for you? Um, I would say. Really, you know, really seeing like, uh, you know, when you when you've had something, and you know, and we could we could talk about this. I got to rerun on a, on a, maybe another episode or something. But one of the things I didn't mention was that uh, I'm good. You can talk, brother. We have no. Well, I just got another yeah, meeting. Yeah, yeah. Okay. But um, is that when I started my first spirits company, um, I brought in a partner, and I just really started talking about this. And I told you how I go on these tours and speeches mm -hmm. and stuff. It's called the Brokest Millionaire. That's the name of my speaking thing. And what I talk about is how, you know, amongst other things, I talk about mental health and I talk about all these different things. Right. It's a good and podcast. and so, you know um, I had the whole company. I lost everything because my partner at the time was my attorney and he ended up being the biggest Ponzi schemer behind Bernie Madoff. And it cost me everything. So me and my kids went from you know, 10,000 square foot mansion, you know, yachts and all this other stuff, right? Because, you know, like, I was financially you, successful mm -hmm. to a two-room hotel. And from there, I just said, you know what? I got to get them through. And so I, I had no idea how. And, you know, one of my best friends at the time, you know, came by and he gave me a check. And he said, get out of here, man. Go get you somewhere to live and get these kids out of here. And that's what I did. And then I started, I put together another business and started doing it. And I was solely committed to them at that point. Like get them into high school and do all these other things. And, you know, once they, you know, got to college and stuff like that, that's when my daughter comes to me. She's still in college. She said, Dad, you need to get back in the liquor business. She said, that's what you like to do. That's what you love to do. Mm -hmm. And that's when I started a new company. 
And now we're 10 times bigger than the first one. So um, that was the pivotal point. That was a shift. Yeah. My brother, I appreciate your time, man. Thank you. No, thank you. God bless. Good night. We're going to make sure to put all your information on the bottom of it also. But I have some other ideas that I want to talk about. Man. Okay. Like, I I feel something. Yeah. I feel something. I make it. Yeah. I, I appreciate you. God bless. Good night, right. man.